is The Talking Dead, a podcast dedicated to the AMC TV show, The Walking Dead. Good evening, Internet. The moniker I use is generally Chris. And I generally use Jason. And this is The Talking Dead number 136 for the 25th of November, 2013. And uh, here we are, back to the regular old setup. Well, pretty pretty much. This is the, the new version of the old setup. <laughs> right. All I'm trying to say is I'm back at home. You're at home. You never left home. Uh, I am no longer in Saskatchewan. That's which true. which is a good thing. Nothing nothing against Saskatchewan, but I was there for eight days, which was long enough for me. And uh, here I here I am. So now, back now to you're home and comfy and cozy and not Saskatchewan-y. Is it? It's colder here than when you left. But is it warmer than Saskatchewan right now? Uh, actually, it's funny. The weather in Saskatchewan was damn cold while we were there. Right. We landed. Uh, last Saturday night in in a light snowfall, and we came out, and it was a little bit chilly, but it wasn't too bad. It was, you know, what I expected for Saskatchewan at this time of year. Right. And then, uh, and then the temperature just dropped like a rock in a in a freshwater o- uh, lake, because it went down for most of the week. It was below minus twenty five. Right. So the actual temperature was between minus 25 and minus 30 Celsius. And when you factored in the wind chill, which is something we like to do in this fine country, it was like minus 37 degrees. Okay, that's really cold. It was really, really damn cold. And I really did not enjoy going outside one little bit while we were there. Um, Regina's a fine city. Saskatchewan seems like a nice province. But man, oh man, I do not know why anyone lives in such a cold climate. So... That that that's around the temperature that Fahrenheit and Celsius kind of meet up, isn't it? Is it? I don't know. Minus thirty-seven. Yeah, I think minus forty is the same in both. Okay. Well, so, if you know what minus forty Fahrenheit feels like, you know what minus forty Celsius feels like. Exactly. Like I'd walk outside, and my mustache, which I have, you know, for November, and the rest of my beard, it would like almost instantly start freezing up and getting uh, ice form forming on it from my breath. I believe it's mustaches. Mustaches? I, I think you have mustaches. I don't know if if you have a mustache. I, generally, you have a mustache, but I think you can also use mustaches. I don't understand. How can I have more than one mustache? You have one for each side. <laughs> I didn't. Well, you have a pair of scissors. You have a pair of pants. They're both one thing, but they're a pair, right? Uh, okay. So by the same logic, you go with mustaches. I think you're making that up. I don't think you. I don't think you have a pair of mustaches. Or mustache eye. I'm pretty sure. Must, must, uh, mustache. Must, multiple mustaches. Anyways, mustaches. it was really cold. My facial hair, regardless of whether it's a pair or not, really started to freeze. You, you, you stand around outside and like, if you're not properly dressed, even if you are properly dressed, like my feet would get cold like almost instantly and it was just very uncomfortable. So. Yeah, that's that's nasty gold. Nasty, nasty. Um, but anyways, I'm back right now, and uh, I'm feeling a little blasé, which is appropriate because today is blasé day. Blasé day? Yes, it is. Now, wow. I must admit, this is a bit of a questionable uh, observance because I'm not sure it's actually recognized anywhere, but right. I did find it on the internet, and as I said, I'm kind of feeling it today, so I thought it was um, somewhat appropriate. 
And the other interesting thing is define blasé, Jason, if you can. Well, kind of feeling, you know, sort of whatever, you know, a little of this, a little of that, no, <laughs> no highs, no lows, just kind of like, meh, meh. Just kind of meh. Yeah, I'm sure that's not the you know the technical definition, but it, it's uh, it's sort of meh, whatever. That's kind of what I thought too. I would have defined blasé as as lazy or listless. Really? That's that's what I would have defined it, which I think is kind of what you're saying. Maybe okay, not so, lazy, but so are you act- telling me we're both wrong? Well, we're not. Uh, you know, we're not totally way off. But the actual definition of blasé is not. <laughs> <laughs> you all right? All right. I have a. <laughs> bit of a cold that I got from my wife. Oh, that's fine. I'm loaded up on uh, on drugs right now. You sound okay to me. Thanks. The actual definition of blasé is nonchalantly unconcerned or uninterested because of frequent exposure or indulgence. Right. So it's it's kind of means indifferent, but indifferent ah. due to being uh, frequently exposed to something. So we would be, you know, blasé about, uh, you know, zero degrees Celsius weather because it happens all the time. Or like, it's not, it's not really cold, cold if you're wearing a jacket, but it's not really warm either. Well, I'm, I'm kind of blasé about Regina right now because I was yeah. frequently exposed to it and I was ready to leave and come home. Right. That's sort of how I was feeling. Well, so you, we wouldn't be blasé about, you know, a giant meteor about to strike the earth and kill us all because that doesn't happen very often, you know, once, maybe twice. Right. Uh, but so we, we wouldn't be blasé about that. But, uh, sh- you know, shooting stars, uh, you know, seeing the meteorites f- fly and burn up before they hit the ground, you're like, man, eh, whatever. I guess, although I don't see that very often either. <laughs> oh. <laughs> I guess I don't stare at the sky <laughs> and dream well, I guess like I'm you not blasé about that. Maybe I'm blasé about... Um, Anything you do regularly and doesn't really affect you anymore. So, blasé day. Chicken dinner. There you go. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) I'm blasé about chicken dinner. Good. So, today is a day to celebrate those sorts of feelings, Uh, although I'm not entirely sure because it's it's a questionable one. I'm not going to really, I, I don't think I can celebrate that those kind of feelings because they happen all the time, and frankly, I'm a little blasé about them. Got it. Yeah, all right. Well, the other thing I want to talk about just before we get started here is that, you remember that time we went to Walker Stalker Con? Uh, let me see. That was back in November. Uh, Walker, <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah, okay. We no, were there. I got you. I'm, I'm there. It was, it's down, down in uh, Atlanta or somewhere. That's where it was. Yeah. And uh, they've announced, you know, next year's Walker Stalker Con. In fact, yeah. two of them. Ooh. One of them will be in Atlanta again. It's going to be slightly earlier in October, so it doesn't conflict with Halloween, which I really, really like because that's good. Yeah. I had to miss my my kids' Halloween this year to go to the convention. Um, and then there's going to be a second one at some time in the spring. I don't know any details on that yet, but they'll be announcing that soon. But what I really want to tell people is that tickets are already on sale for Walker Stalker Con Atlanta 2014. Nice and. If you buy tickets before the end of November, now I realize from recording right now that's only five days or six days, um, there's a discount available. If you go to walkerstalkercon.com and use the discount code 2014WSCON25, that will get you a 25% discount off your VIP or general admission tickets. All right. I got to sign off. 
so uh, <laughs> I can go buy tickets. So all right. All right. I'll talk to you on Wednesday. Good. Uh, enjoy the rest of the show. Thanks, man. This'll be this'll be fun without you. <laughs> Click me. <laughs> I'm still here. Nice dial tone. Uh, yeah, thanks. So I can't do it because uh, the dial tones are actually two different notes and not just one, and I can't do that by myself. Some people can, I think, can make. Two. Yeah, but they, can they do? They're an octave apart. They're I think they're A's. Okay, I don't know. I can't do that. No, you got some, need sure. some talent for that. Yeah. Anyways, WalkerStalkerCon.com. Go over there before the end of November for 25% off your tickets if you buy them now. That code is 2014WSCON25. All right, stop the podcast and go do it now and maybe come back to the podcast later if you have time. Please do. Uh, there's a good chance that we'll be there again next year. I, I'm just going to throw that out right now. I, I had so much fun, I want to go back. So uh, you might get a chance to meet us again. And I'd rather go there than New York Comic Con. Me too, frankly, to be, to be honest frankly. with you. Yeah. New Much York rather. is so impersonal and large, and it's fun and all, but this is this is like hanging out with friends. Oh, I had way more fun at uh, Walker Stalker Con than I had at New York Comic Con, for totally. sure. Totally. So do that, 2014 WSCon25 at walkerstalkercon.com. Buy your tickets now. Do it now. Do it now. All right, Jason, let's do this week's listener email of the week, which is actually a call. Cool. Hi, guys. It's Terry from Woodstock, Illinois. Um, I just want to let you know, the governor picked Brian Harriet as a name. That was on that barn with all the names written on it um, at the beginning of the episode when he was just wandering uh, aimlessly and lost. Uh, I didn't know if you guys caught that. I'm sure he, this isn't the first call on that. Uh, keep it up, guys. Talk to you later. Bye. Thanks, Terry. So I just wanted to play that because we got a ton of people writing and calling in to let us know that he chose the name Brian because it was written, or Brian Harriet, because it was written on the barn wall near the beginning of that episode. Right. So it's the usual <laughs> suspect kind of situation. Kaiser Sose and all that whole thing. Uh, God, it's been a long time since I've seen that movie. Kevin Spacey. I know. A bunch of other guys. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Kevin Spacey's giving, te- or not giving testimony, but he's being interviewed by the police. Uh-huh. He's giving all these elaborate answers, and then after he leads, leaves the room, the uh, the police officer looks at the, the bulletin board, and every name that he used was on that bulletin board. So it was a completely made-up story. Spoiler alert. I'm sorry if you haven't seen The Usual Suspects back in 1990-something. That's a serious uh, movie to spoil, though, man. Yeah. I'm sorry. <laughs> Anyways... Um, the reason I played that is because I totally already knew that. Like, I picked that up when watching the episode, but I guess didn't really make it clear when we were talking about it and recapping that episode in the podcast because right. a lot of people wrote in to tell us, uh, guys, he got the name from the barn. So I guess we sort of made it feel like we weren't sure where the name came from, but um, I guess I guess I just didn't go into detail. But I already knew. But thank you, everyone, for for writing that in. Um, the other thing is there's a character in, since that episode of the TV show followed the rise of the governor fairly closely, the novel, Right, right. that name comes from the novel as well. So you can, right. you can yeah. kind of take it both ways if, if you want to. But nonetheless, thank you everyone for pointing that out. All right. So The Usual Suspects was released in 1995, and I figure if the movie is old enough to drink in Quebec, uh, it can be spoiled. 18 right. years. 18 years. It's the drinking age in Quebec, eh? That's right, yeah. <laughs> if you can drink in Quebec, you can spoil... You can, it can be spoiled. All right, fair enough. That'll be our rule from now on. The movie is an adult. <laughs> the subject matter is an adult. It can be spoiled. All right, fair enough. 
Okay, Jason, I think we're going to talk about Season 4, Episode 7 now, Dead Weight. What the hell? What the hell? That's what we're here to do. So uh, let's start with the cold open. We've got Brian there doing his laundry while he's playing chess with Megan. Have you noticed that a lot of there's all there's there's been a lot of laundry doing scenes in this show over the years? Well, laundry is important. We've we've now seen Brian here doing laundry at the beginning of this episode. Uh-huh. We saw Tyrese like cleaning his shirt a couple episodes ago in the creek. Um, that and, that was more of a uh, that was something different though. He was getting blood off his shirt. He wasn't just doing laundry. Okay, I mean he was still cleaning clothes though. That's true, okay. And, you know, we've seen a lot of other characters doing laundry outside the prison, outside the camp, way back in uh, season two. A lot of pr- laundry happening in the in the farm in season three. I just feel like every season we get a different angle on laundry doing on this show. Laundry's important. I guess you do need clean clothes. If you're if you're not clean, then uh, you have a chance of chance, you know, higher chance of getting infection and diseases and various such things, and then uh, you would die. I guess it as a zombie. You're right. I guess it makes sense. Everybody has like one or two changes of clothes, so you got to keep them clean while you can. <laughs> True. All right. So it, it, what what we've got here though is we've got sort of cut back and forth between Brian doing laundry, playing chess with Megan, and. Martinez helping him out of the walker pit and and Megan out of the walker pit from the end of the previous episode. So we cut back and forth, but... Um, What's with, that called when you intermixed, uh, intermixed current situation with a flashback? With like a scene, flashback, scene, current, scene, flashback. Are you wearing a friendship bracelet, my friend? No, I'm wearing, I'm wearing a bracelet my daughter made for me. Oh, okay. I thought uh, maybe you got that in Regina somewhere. Yeah, no, didn't get that. Didn't. Sorry, you can't. This is an audio only podcast, and I interjected with a video, a visual thing. So, uh, sorry. Chris is wearing a very pretty bracelet. That I thought that he probably got from uh, somebody in Regina. No, but, didn't. I uh, made some new friends in Regina, but none of them gave me a bracelet. Okay. Um, sorry about that. When when your kid makes you a bracelet, you have to wear it for at least for a little while. That's the rule, I think. Right. And th- there's another rule that uh, it doesn't matter how tough you are. If a toddler hands, hands you a phone, you answer that phone. <laughs> That's right. There's a call for you, obviously. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Can we get on with the episode? Yeah, sorry about that. That, that one's totally my fault. No problem. Um, so as we said, we're cutting back and forth. I don't know if there's a name for that, like you were asking. I have no idea, but somebody out there in TV land must know. Um, but Brian is telling Megan about how his father used to beat him at chess and actually beat me at everything. So right. I think maybe Brian's dad wasn't such a nice guy. My brother was like that. My brother always wins every game I ever I've ever played with him. Whether he lo- <laughs> even if you even if he lost, he still won. No, he just won everything. Really, every eh? game I ever played with my brother, he won. I don't know what it is. Some people are just like that. Yeah, they're just good at stuff, I guess. Um. And uh, Megan says that her dad was always mean, and uh, he asks, she asks Brian if if she's bad, and he says, "No, you're good, you're good. Don't worry about it." Um, and Megan says, "You know, we're good, all of us." But we sort of have an up close shot of of Brian's face, and and I I don't think he's so sure if he's part of that good group. Uh, yeah, he doesn't answer that question, but uh, you know, it it. It kind of implies that he can't answer it without lying to the poor girl. Yeah, that's right. Uh, and then b- before the end of their bit, uh, Megan says, it's your turn, referring to the chess game, of course. 
But uh, Brian just stands there and he says, I'm thinking. And I think there was kind of a double entendre here. <laughs> oh, absolutely. Yeah, you have to, you, ha- you can uh, think and plan all you want, but eventually you have to make a move is one of the lines or something similar. To, he, he says something like that. Yeah. And now it's time for him to make his move. To make the move, exactly. I enjoyed the chess metaphors in the, in the cold open here. Mm-hmm. And uh, so in the other half of this thing, we've got uh, them in the pit. Now, Martinez pulls pulls them out of the pit, and they're talking a little bit. And at one point, Lily calls over, are you okay, Brian? And Martinez just looks at him but doesn't react because clearly right. he knows that that's not his actual name. Uh, but he doesn't give him away, which is interesting. After after abandoning them, you know, many months before, um, and uh, Martinez says something like, "You can come back to the camp, but there are two rules. I'm in charge, and there's no dead weight. If you don't right. contribute, we cut you out." Yeah, which is, I mean, fair enough, fair rule, I would say. Yeah, you gotta you gotta pull up uh, pull your end of the thing. Pull your <laughs> pull your weight. <laughs> don't, yeah, pull your weight. Don't be dead weight. Hold your end up. Maybe I was going for that. Hold your end up. Yeah, that yeah. works. Don't drop the ball. Um, and then uh, just at the end of of the Brian and Megan chess scene, we pull uh, we pull back and we see you know a nice uh, little camp camper there with a big honking tank sitting right beside it, parked next to a tank. Yeah, that is. You're gonna park some. You're gonna park a camper. Park it next to the tank. I guess, or park your tank next to the camper. Either way, really. Well, it depends on what got there first, I guess. Yeah, that's right. But that tank, I have a feeling that tank is going to play a big role in the next couple of episodes. Oh, that's that's definitely Chekhov's gun. Oh, yeah, that's Chekhov's tank for sure. Yeah. You show Chekhov's a t- tank, that's right. You show a tank, you got to use it. Yeah. So we get the opening credits, and when we come back, we are inside one of the campers uh, with Lily, and uh, uh, the roof is leaking. And... Um, Lily it's a, and it's Brian. A bullet are, hole, right? Well, I guess so. Someone was, shot a gun. Little up through black the powder hole? burns on the inside as well, so that was definitely a bullet hole. Okay, so is that important? Someone shot a gun through the roof of their their well, camper just, in celebration. Uh, well, I don't know if it was in celebration. Usually, you're standing outside when you shoot fire a gun in, in the air in celebration. I wouldn't do it inside any kind of building or structure because what if what if that thing hits the uh, bullet hits something hard and deflects back and you know, hurts you. Okay. So well, don't fire any firearms indoors if you can help it. And uh, yeah, that was definitely a bullet hole. All right. Well, the, the the important thing seemed to be that water was leaking through it. Yeah. And the guy, would, yeah. Brian was annoyed by this. Yeah, um, he's just looking at it going, oh, it's dripping. That's, that's terribly unfortunate. <laughs> what am I going to oh, well. do about that? <laughs> Time to go out. But they're talking about going on a supply run with Martinez and the Dolgen brothers. Right. So we learn that the Dolgen brothers are Pete and Mitch. Right. And Pete is played by Enver Joke. Mm-hmm. It's an interesting name. Do you remember him from anything? From Dollhouse. From Dollhouse, that's right. He was uh what was his name? He was one of the one of the guys. He was one of the male dolls, that's right. Yeah, that's right. Victor. Victor, exactly. Victor. So, you know, recognizable actor there. And Mitch, played by another recognizable actor, Kirk Acevedo. Mm-hmm. From Fringe. From Fringe, exactly. And, uh, but I, I know him from Law & Order. He was uh, a, a regular on Law & Order and Oz, I believe. Oh, yes, he was in Oz, Yeah, which I've only ever seen the first and last episode of. Nice. <laughs> well, remember we did the uh, Sarah Wayne Callie's spotlight and decided to watch... No, no, that was Prison Break. 
Oh shit! That Oz was, was an HBO break. show uh, about uh, a bunch of inmates in a maximum security prison. I was confusing my prison shows. Yeah. So I've seen the first and last episode of Prison Break. Never seen right. one of Oz. Right. All right. I'll be okay. Um, they talk to Lily and him talk um, uh, about wanting something better, and Lily but Lily says the camp is good, and she'll set up a nurses station. Right. Brian is saying I want something better for us. Uh, so we cut out to them on the supply run. They're talking. Sorry, to- nurses station is that where they where she's going to do her paperwork? Oh, I guess so. You know where they can keep all the charts and make sure everything's there because they don't <laughs> actually do nursing there. Well, nursing, you know, part of nursing is the paperwork and you know maintaining everything, but actual you know dealing with patients isn't done at the nursing station. No, but I guess in a pinch you could probably treat someone at the station. Yeah, I guess so. So that's what she's gonna do. Somewhere to do her paperwork. Yeah, yeah, you got to do paperwork. If you're going to have a large enough group, there's going to be paperwork. Submit forms, things like that. Yeah. Um, the guys are out on the uh, out on the run. They pass by a small lake, maybe a pond, not not a large body of water. And they, they decide that they, or uh, one of them says that we can't fish in there because the lake's dead. Right. No more fish. And uh, then he calls him, calls Brian One-Eyed Bry. <laughs> One-eyed Bry, that's <laughs> which, a good name. Which I like, that's pretty good. Can't tell if he's winking or blinking. <laughs> <laughs> I think that was Mitch that had those lines, right? That was Mitch, yeah. Yeah, One-eyed Bry. Um, so, but they're heading for a cabin for supplies that one of the other group members had sent them to, and they come across a headless body tied to a tree with a sign that says liar. Yeah. What do you think this means? Staked into his chest. Like, that wasn't just pinned to his chest. There was a big hammer stake in there. Not just a nail, like a big, like the thing was uh, probably half an inch wide. Like, that thing was, you know, in there good. Yeah. Well, if you're going to hammer a sign into somebody's chest, you want it to stay there. Yeah. You don't want it to come out accidentally. So a good six-inch spike would be perfect. Big railroad spike, just right in there. Yeah, you got to make sure it stays. (laughs) Yeah. So, you know what I was thinking about this scene? There's this there's this dead body. It's tied to a tree with rope. Why not take the rope? I mean, the body's not going to need it anymore. And rope comes in handy no matter what you're doing. Why not take the rope? What if you have a lot of rope? Well, if you don't need the rope, but rope always comes in handy. I'm just like, you know what? You're on a supply run. There's rope right there. Sure, it may be a little bloody, but that'll oh, dry, we, clean oh, off. Oh, you mean the the the, the brothers, the, the group that's uh, that on the supply room? You think that they should have taken the rope? That's what I'm saying. Like the diseased, bloody, gore-infested rope. Oh come on! It's they, they get a decomposing body all over that rope now. I'm just saying, rope is handy. They could take it. They could clean it. They could use it for something. Tie somebody else up to a tree with it. I don't know. No, and that was a natural fiber rope. That thing was soaked in gore and stuff. It would probably smell really bad. I wouldn't want that in my pack. All right, I'm just saying. If you I need wouldn't supplies. take the rope. All right, forget the rope. Uh, so anyways, we cut over to Lily treating a cut on Alicia's hand, another new mm-hmm. character. So we have Alicia. The palm. That's the nasty place to get a cut. Oh, it is. I've cut my palm before, though. It's not very yeah. fun. Um, uh, cutting a hot dog bun once, and then and the knife I was using was sharper than I anticipated, and so it went through the hot dog bun and through my palm. You got to be careful with that, man. I know. You can't just do that. I don't have sharp knives in my house, but the place I was at at the time did. And well, I wasn't you got to be it. careful, and you don't cut hot dog buns like that. You hold it on the ground and cut it sideways. You don't uh, cut it into your hand. You're going to slice your palm. Well, 
Thanks. I know that now. <laughs> Why couldn't you right. tell me this like 20 years ago when I did this? I didn't know you 20 years ago. <laughs> I would have called you a dumbass if I did know you, though. All right. Well, that's me. Uh, so she's treating Alicia's hand, and Tara comes out and is acting all big and tough and how she knows so much about guns and weapons. But Alicia sees right through this act. Yeah. And uh, she tells her she's full of shit. But you can tell there's a connection there. These two, these two people, these two women are 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 bonding over shit talking. I guess. <laughs> well, they got the lovey dovey eyes. They do. Like, I saw that right off the bat. I'm like, oh, they love each other. There you go. <laughs> um, we go back to the the raiding party or the supply run party, and they're approaching the cabin, and they find another headless body with a rapist sign attached. Right now, one thing I wanted to point out here uh-huh. is, uh, you know, the rapist is first of all, he's in an easy chair. And uh, you know why not take the easy chair? It's a very, <laughs> looks like a very comfy chair. It's got sure it's got a dead body on it. What the heck? You just Probably soaked in gore and smells really bad. And same things you said about the rope. Right. So we find out a little later. Uh, I'm going to spoil the episode we're talking about. Uh, we find out a little later that the two brothers were in the uh, were in the army. Right. Yes. Okay. So uh Brian is walking around with a, a semi automatic pistol with his finger on the trigger the whole time. The other guys have uh are, you know, exercising proper, you know, finger discipline and not keeping their fingers on the trigger. If these two guys were in the army and they saw that, they would have told him to take his finger off the trigger. Get your finger off the trigger. If you fall down, one of us is gonna get killed. Yeah, the thing about that is I think it's realistic to have people walking around with fingers on the trigger. If someone handed me a gun, which I've never held before, I've never held a real gun before, but if someone handed me a gun, the first thing I would do is hold it and put my finger on the trigger because that's how you use a gun. And the first thing the person that handed you that gun would say would be keep your finger off the trigger until you want to use it. Yeah, but because you don't want it to accidentally go off. I get that, but... I mean, it's just, it's it's human nature. Guns, you know, have triggers, and trigger triggers are for fingers. So inexperienced people put their finger on the trigger. So I don't think it's without, outside the realm of reality that he'd be walking around with his finger on the trigger. Now, I get your point that they would tell him not to, but... Yes, that, you know, that is my point. For, for the governor, if he was by himself, you know, whatever. He's being lazy, he doesn't know any better, he puts his finger on the trigger, you go around, that's just, you know, his... his accident waiting to happen but if he's in he's with two guys that are in the in the army they're going to see that kind of stuff they're going to practice proper you know discipline with those firearms and if they see something wrong they're going to point it out because you point it out and they probably got yelled at during basic training for just that offense well okay well first of all he's not the governor he's brian and second of all maybe they did tell him that and they've just given up because he, he won't stop doing it i wouldn't have stopped yelling at him <laughs> I wouldn't. I would never have stopped. Ever, ever stopped telling him to take his finger off that trigger until he wants to use it. It only takes a fraction of a second to uh, to put your finger on the trigger from when it's beside the the the, the guard, and uh, that's the same amount of time you could use that time for taking your weapon from beside your body up into pointing it at what you need to do. By the time you get it up there, you could move your finger. To what you need to put it on, put it on the trigger. Okay, is this a problem with the whole show over four seasons? Like, do do people walk around with their finger on the trigger, or is this something you've just noticed now? 
No, it is not the, I've noticed it off and on, but a lot of people in this show, I think they're doing it on purpose. Like they're, I think this is part of the governor's character and that uh, there are consultants that they have uh, on set. You know, as soon as you hand a, a, an actor a, a fake firearm, you teach them how to use it, right? You teach, because they're real firearms that have been saved. Right. right. Generally, you're not just plastic things unless they're, you know, you're, you're going into a mock combat or mock hand to hand kind of thing. Well, they use so, rubber rubber guns when you're falling down a hill and stuff like that. Yeah, that kind of thing. But if you're walking around like they are, they, you know, to, in order to give you to give the uh, the proper uh, sense of weight, like you know, they actually use real firearms that have been safe. They've been modified so that they can't fire or whatever. Right. Or they can only fire blanks. I'm not sure exactly what they do. But these people that manage these weapons, these prop masters, when they uh, give them to actors, they teach the actors how to use them, right? They teach them, don't put your finger on the trigger until you want to pull it. And so when with the governor, or sorry, Brian, walking around with this thing, I think it's a, a specific character trait that they've given this character. That, okay. Uh, they, you know, his character would keep his finger on the trigger. So that's a good that, thing, then. And that's fine, except yeah. that when you couple that with two guys that were in the military, there's going to be some discussion about this. <laughs> All right. I can see <clears throat> that, but I just don't know how, how exciting that would be. So maybe we can just assume no, more that. Intel. Yeah, maybe that we assume that conversation took place. The governor's like, forget it. I keep my finger on the trigger. It's just the way I am. Lay off. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it, this, this kind of stuff just drives me crazy because I wouldn't stand for it. <laughs> All right. Well... Uh, when we're in the zombie apocalypse together, you're going to be telling me to take my finger off the trigger take all the time. Take your finger off the trigger unless you want to use the firearm. Okay. Well, they pass headless body with rapist sign attached. <laughs> in a comfy chair. <laughs> in a comfy chair. And then they go to the porch and they find another body. This one not headless, but there's a murderer sign. And they realize that this appears to be the owner of the cabin and he killed himself. Yes. So he hung a murderer sign around his neck and then shot himself in the face. So he murdered himself. Uh, well, he murdered the other two guys is what I thought. I think so. He was, you know, he murdered the liar and the rapist. Oh, yeah, okay. And since he's guilty of a crime as well, he had to exact punishment on himself. Okay. So that's justice for you. Right. And it, and he hung this sign around his neck. It was not staked or spiked to his uh, his chest like the other two. Yeah, that would be tougher to do. <laughs> yeah, it really would be. So they they open the door and they listen inside and apparently can hear a walker in there. Now, I listened intently and apparently there was a very faint banging sound and now it slowly gets louder as they they go through the house. But I couldn't really hear it at first. And I'm like, what do you mean there's a walker in there? Because one of them says so. But apparently there was. They go in, and Brian goes first, of course. The man right. with the smallest weapon and the least military training they send in first. Yeah, but he has uh, he has a lot of experience in this kind of thing. I guess. And he has a flashlight, so maybe that helps. Well, the, the other guy has a flashlight, too. Right. Martinez has a flashlight, and so does uh, Pete. All right. Well... I don't know. I thought it was strange that they sent Brian in first. Why not send no, Brian one of just the took guys? the lead. This is what he does. Okay. He goes in and uh, he takes care of shit. So they're walking around the house. It's dark. They got their flashlights on. Eventually they get into a room where they find the zombie, but it kind of gets on Pete, which is unlucky for him. But Brian saves him. Then a zombie gets on Martinez and Brian saves him too. Yep. So so far he's doing his job. With his trusty flashlight. 
Yeah. Steel mag light flashlight. Hammering them in the, in the face <laughs> with his flashlight. Yeah. Um, and they find the two severed heads from the bodies outside, yep. which are snapping away because they're not dead yet. Um, after stepping on the heads to, to kill them, you know, like, like yeah. they were cockroaches or something. I thought he kicked it like a soccer ball, frankly. Well, he might've kicked one, but I'm pretty sure we see him step on one, just like stomp, boot stomp it down and we hear a squishing sound. Right. I don't know if the other one they kicked away, but they do that. And then we cut to them sitting around a fire they've made. And, uh, Martinez tells Brian that if it was just him in the pit, he wouldn't have brought him into the camp. Right. Well, what would he have done? Just left him in the pit and say, I know that guy. We should leave him in the pit? Well, that's the thing. Like, you can't just leave him there because other people are going to be like, but that guy's alive. Shouldn't we help him or do something? And then if he pulled him out, he would have had to have said, "Um, you're out of the hole now, but sorry, keep going. We don't want you around here. Well, they could have done that. That would have been reasonable. You know, we'll help you out of the pit. Get the hell, get lost. I guess. I mean, it's easier to do with one person, I suppose, but luckily he had two women and a child with him because yeah. now he's led into the group. The two walkers in the cabin were the uh, the people in the photograph, right? Yeah, it was so the guy's was the guy that killed himself. He was in the photograph and his wife and daughter. Correct. So that those were the two walkers in the, uh, in the cabin. That's right. They found a photograph in there and it was his family. The other two people, we don't know who they were other than... He cut their heads off. They're a liar and a rapist. That's all we need to know, I suppose. In military or uh, camouflage outfits. Okay. Could have been hunting, could have been military, who knows. Yeah. Uh, Now, Martinez says to Brian that he seems like he's changed, like he's a different person, and Brian says, I am. Right. He's obviously He was just talking about his clothes. You change your clothes? No, I just washed them. (laughs) I just washed them, yeah. (laughs) Everything's, Everything's different. You look different. I washed my hair. Oh, thanks. Got to <laughs> shave, you know? Yeah. So Mitch comes in, and he's found some beer. They crack a few open, and they talk about, you know, what happened to them uh, before the apocalypse and, and right after. And uh, they start asking about their past. Brian immediately asks them so that he doesn't have to reveal anything. Right. He doesn't want to talk about what, what's happened, even though Martinez really knows everything. Um, we find out that Mitch is a tank operator. And from in the army, of course, and Pete was in the army as well. And uh, finally, Brian is asked what he did when it all went bad, and he says, I survived. True. He gives them a non-answer. <clears throat> right. Like a complete non-answer. If somebody, if I was, you know, frankly, if I was in that situation and I asked somebody a question and they gave me a, a, a non-answer like that, I'd probably let it go. Really? Because, yeah, I'm not, you know, to... To keep digging into somebody when they, uh, you know, are non-responsive to a, to a question is rude, and, and I wouldn't want to be rude. It's just going to cause some tension and animosity. You got to exactly. Think. I mean, I, I'm too polite. I would just let it go. There's oh, that's there's nice. there's no rule that says people have to divulge their past secrets. So, right? Why not just let it go? You're probably right. Uh, we cut back to the camp, and now Martinez, Brian, and the women are sitting around a picnic table drinking beer. So I guess they found a bunch of beer there. Chatting. And we find out that Martinez's father was a Catholic priest. That's right. 
So we get a little backstory on him. Before he was Martinez's father, I suppose. Yeah, I guess that he said he had some trouble with the church and became a father. You know, that might not be true then. If he had trouble with the church and uh, fathered a child and the church found out and they went, uh, yeah, you got to (laughs) go. You're not supposed to be doing that. (laughs) You're not supposed to do that. Yeah. Oh, all right. Um. But Lily, and then Lily says they've done all right here, and it's the first place she's felt safe since all this went down. Right. Which really, really unintentionally was a was just a jab in the heart to Brian, I think, because he's he's taken aback by this because I guess he figures he made them safe, right? Well, yeah. Well, I mean, the look on his face just said it all. He was about to take a drink of his beer, and she says this, and he stops and is like, what do you mean? Like, what have I been doing all this time? You know, I think that was a little hurtful to him. That's true. Um, They talk a little bit about their old camp, and Martinez says it was a good place, referring to Woodbury. But Brian, of course, still won't talk about it, and uh, they realize they're all drunk, so Tara and Alicia leave together, as you said, lovey-dovey eyes there. Mm Mm-hmm. And uh, Martinez gets up to go, and he almost falls down because he's, he's wasted. Drunk. Yeah. And uh, so that was that. We go over to Brian and Martinez. They're shooting golf balls off a camper roof. Shooting? Is, there, is that what you do? You don't shoot golf balls. What do you do? You hit them. You're hitting golf balls. You're right. You hit golf balls off the roof. They were using golf clubs. Hitting balls. Whacking balls. That's what you yeah, do. Yeah, whacking some balls. Uh, and just like just like the governor used to do in Woodbury. Nice callback there. And so here we find out that Schumpert is dead. Yeah, so too bad. So that's really too bad. I, I mean, we don't even get another scene with Travis Love. All we get is a couple of throwaway lines that he, a, a walker got him and he's dead because he got reckless. It could be a lie. You know, you're not dead until we see you're dead. Yeah, I have a feeling he's not coming back, though. Yeah, you're probably right, but I have I have my hopes. I would like to see Travis Love come back to the show. Me too, to be honest with you. I They really didn't do much with his character. He barely had a line, but yet he was always hanging around in the background, right? He was, when Andrea and Michonne first showed up at Woodbury, he was keeping an eye on them, walking around, and then he was one of the last people standing after the governor's massacre, and then that's it. He just got reckless, died, and we never see him again. Maybe it was, you know, it was shot, but uh, ended up on the cutting room floor, and we we don't get to see it for that reason. So they added that line in, like, uh, was how was the line given? Was the line given uh, with uh, Martinez, you know, looking away from the camera? I don't know. It's the kind of thing they could add in post, right? It's like we got we cut that scene where he died, but we gotta, you know, we gotta give him something. We gotta give the audience something to say right. what happened. Uh, so. I don't know. Maybe, I don't know. Uh, maybe they maybe they they shot it. Maybe it's it's there somewhere, you know, on the floor, but I just am sort of bummed out that that's that's it. How hard would it have been to put Schumpert in in that camp with them and it just have him lurk around in the background some more? That seems to be well, what he was going. That good would have been, you know, kind of jarring <laughs> as well, you know, make him, you know, an extra you know, just kind of shuffling around in the background without any actual lines. He was practically an extra anyways, to be honest. He had lines, did he? Yeah, I, he, I, he might have had one or two. Not many, though. Not many at all. Anyways, he's gone, so I, I don't think he's coming back. But uh, after that, Martinez says that that family that Brian came in with, they brought him back 
from being crazy, I guess. That's true. But <clears throat> Martinez says, I don't know how you do it. I wouldn't be able to sleep at night knowing that I was going to lose them again, as if losing them is a foregone conclusion already. Right. That's the way Martinez is, is approaching this. He's like, you know, why get close to these people? You're just going to lose them again. So what's well, the point? Yeah, that's, you know, one of the, you know, the archetypes of the, uh, you know, the apocalypse is don't get close to anybody because they're all going to die. Yeah, that's true. Um, but some people need need to be close to people, right? That's true. That's a different archetype, though. The, the governor is a protector. You know, the, you know, the evil protector. <laughs> the evil protector. I like that. He's um, kind of uh, lawful evil in that. Uh, is he lawful evil or is he? He's maybe a little bit chaotic yeah, evil. He's, he's a little chaotic. I don't think he's chaotic evil. He might be true neutral or true evil, like just neutral evil, which is diabolical. Yeah, he's neutral evil. Got it. Thanks. He's neutral evil. Okay, I can just go with evil. that. He has some chaos in there, though. Yeah. Don't you think? Yeah, but he doesn't follow uh, rules, but he also, uh, he, he's out for number one. In in whatever his uh, his thinking is, that's that's the the paramount uh, thing, and yeah. he's going to do whatever it takes to accomplish whatever that thing is. Okay, and in this case, it's protecting uh, his family. Yep, his new family. So Martinez says that uh, you know it's nice to have him around though, and that maybe they can share the crown a bit in order to keep the count the camp safe. So he's offering him a role in the leadership of this camp which yeah. is interesting. And instead of accepting that role, the governor clubs him in the head <laughs> with a golf club and kicks ouch. kicks him <clears throat> off the camper. Ouch, ouch, ouch. Then he jumps, he climbs down, drags him over to the biter pit and throws him in. So, okay, so there's three things I want to say about this. All right. One is uh, apparently Brian has never heard of the phrase, no thank you. Because <laughs> instead of uh, the only option for it, for what Martinez is proposing is, yes, I would like to share the crown with you. We shall lead this group into a great safe nation from these zombies. And the only other possibility is bash him on the head with a golf club. And throw him into a pit of water. And, throw, and kill him and get rid of him. Yeah. So it doesn't, uh, you know, have you considered just saying no, no thank you. I don't want to lead anything. Thank you very much. Well, he clearly didn't, but as he was dragging Martinez over and throwing him in, Brian kept saying, I don't want it. I don't want it over and over again. And at yeah. first I wasn't sure what he was referring to, but when I rewatched, it's the crown. It's the leadership role. Yeah. He says, we can share the crown, and he's saying, I don't want it. I don't want it. All right. So the second thing I want to bring up about this, other than his uh, complete overreaction and unnecessary overreaction, in my opinion, is uh, Martinez is screaming the whole time. And we got, there's some, it's all throughout this entire episode, but there's some audio issues, like uh, in that uh, they don't seem to give a flying anything about making noise, right? Because there's they're screaming, there's yelling, uh, there's all kinds of noise that this group is making, and it comes a little more apparent a little, little bit later in the episode. But at this point, Martinez is screaming the whole way into the pit, and first of all, nobody notices. Yeah. That's part of the group. Second of all, no zombies are around to notice this noise. Uh, like, how far away is this uh, golfing camper from the uh, from the main group? Yeah, it's got to be a goodly way. Maybe it is, so that he doesn't accidentally peg anyone with a golf ball. Right. And and the third thing is uh, the the pits themselves, the absolute 
perfect nature of these pits. They are square on the corners, the walls are straight, the floor is flat. They are absolutely perfect. Maybe they have a backhoe. Even then, do you think that eventually after people walking to the edge of these pits and falling in, zombies falling in and you know pulling out the governor, uh, that some form of collapse would happen? You know, it would. Oh, yeah, Just, I agree. Spoiler alert, it definitely would. <laughs> That's but not a these spoiler. <laughs> <laughs> these, and, they, and, and the other thing about this is where's the dirt from the pit? It's all surrounded by grass, right? Well, there's no pile of dirt outside of these pits indicating where they placed the dirt. And I assume they didn't cart it away because they would have had to dig these pits by hand. Yeah, I assume so. But they might have a wheelbarrow or two. So they dug these pits, carted the dirt away somewhere else, and yeah, these pits are completely unrealistic. They drove me nuts. It makes no sense. They're too square, and that's the main thing. That's the main problem I have. I don't care where the dirt went, but they're definitely too perfect. Yeah. And the other thing is you can't, like, that's a lot of work to go to, to dig pits like this just periodically around a camp or, yeah. or randomly around a camp. Like, they're not that big. Like, the pit was maybe, I don't know, 20 feet by 10 feet, yeah. something like that, maybe a slightly larger. But unless you have a moat all the way around your camp, there's still going to be giant areas, probably meant much more areas where zombies can just walk through and not fall in a pit. Now, I have a question. Okay. Were these pits about the size of a cargo container? Like, is it possible that the prop department uh, cut the top off a cargo container and buried them and then decorated the inside walls to make them look like pits? Oh, probably. I mean, they, uh, I think, where did I see it? I saw it on some special, on some behind-the-scenes clip where they said, I think the walls were made of styrofoam and then, you know, painted to look like dirt kind of thing. Yeah. So it could be a cargo container. I mean, if they're going to go to the trouble, I mean, the production crew, if they're going to go to the trouble of digging these big pits, why not just dig a damn pit? Well, it's, yeah, you, uh, it I might even be easier. Dangerous. Well, because if you dig a pit and you're worried about the walls collapsing in, the last thing you want to do is put actors in there or anybody, really. Yeah, endangering the actors, it's probably not allowed. All right, so it was a safety issue. Okay, fine. Uh, willful suspense of disbelief. You're going to have to get over it, I think. These pits are are what they are, and they're just perfect pits. Yeah, it happened. I'm over it. All right, good. So uh, we cut back to uh, Megan and Lily come into their camper, and they find Brian in there crying. And he says he has a bad dream, but can't remember what it is. Yet That's it affected good. him enough that he's, like, crying on the side of his bed. Well, the next time I cry and don't want to tell anybody why, that's the exact excuse I'm going to use. I had a bad dream. Perfect. I had a bad dream. Well, what happened? I don't remember. I don't know. It just upset me. (laughs) Have a good day. I'll be honest, though. My kids are like that sometimes. If they wake up and have a bad dream, we'll be like, what did you dream about? I don't know. I forget. But they're really upset. Well, yeah. I guess it makes sense to me. I guess it can happen. Uh, Outside, the whole camp is there. And uh, I guess this is the next day now. The whole camp is there, and um, Pete and Mitch are talking, and they say Martinez got drunk and fell in a pit. They found what was left of him, so there was enough the, zombies in there to tear him up. 
Right. And the, the, sorry, the fourth thing about the pit <laughs> is uh, when uh, Martinez was actually grappled by all the zombies, uh-huh. they really lowered him down to the bottom of the pit extremely slowly and safely. They didn't just, you know, unceremoniously grab him and, you know, haul him into the pit. Well, I they think... They picked him up and lowered him gently down to the bottom of the pit. I think there was enough of them. I think he kind of like moshed on the zombies for a little while and slowly sort of fell through the crowd. Go back and watch. They were all holding him and lowering him very slowly. Were they, eh? Yeah, well, they had to. And Okay, I got to get over this pit thing, all right? All right, I'm good. Thanks. Sorry. <laughs> you know what, man? We <clears throat> might not see the pits anymore. I sure hope not. They apparently really pissed me off. I have a feeling that they're not going to be instrumental in the plot moving forward. All right, good. Uh, so Pete says he's going to take leadership of the camp for now, but in a couple of days they'll figure out some way to do a vote. Right. <laughs> it takes a couple of days for them to figure out that, how many people want me? Raise your hand. Well, that's, you know, maybe it's got to be a secret ballot. ballot. And okay, you have fine. to get a whole bunch, like, you have to get two stones for every person, paint one white, paint one black, and then have everybody file by and throw their rock into the, uh, in, into the can. And then they count the black rocks, and they go, okay, what did we assign to black rocks? <laughs> Maybe we should have assigned something <laughs> We should to have black assigned rocks. something to black rocks and something to white rocks, but black rocks, rocks win. <laughs> yeah. All right. Okay, so maybe it could take a little while. Don't just It's got to be a secret hands. ballot, true democracy, I guess. Yeah. Uh, now, Mitch, while Pete is kind of trying to be nice to everyone, Mitch is just, you know, ordering people around. And you know what he reminded me of in this scene? Um, the guy from Fringe? Merle. He Merle. reminded me of Merle. Just kind of ordering people around, kind of acting like, you know, the second, second in command guy, just the tough muscle sort of dude. I think he, un, uh, he flew off the handle and I didn't think it was A, in character or B, necessary. Or uh, D, in keeping with the scene. Uh, I don't know. I, we don't know that much about his character. So I think this was just part of it coming out. And, you know, just while Pete was trying to say, look, this is bad. I'm going to lead us for now. We'll figure something out. You know, everything's okay here, people. This is, we're all in this together. Mitch is just, you know, hurling insults, telling people to shut up. And, you know, he's he's the dumb muscle, like Merle was. Right. And it, okay. I, I saw the parallel there. It just, it seemed to escalate really quickly from nowhere for me. It was a little jarring. Well, but all the crowd was upset, clearly, right? They they were actually objecting when Pete said, I'm going to lead us. Yeah, and making a lot of noise. Yeah, true. Making far too much noise. <laughs> far so, too much noise. Shut up, shut up, Just people. Be quiet. Yell quietly, people. <laughs> uh, so they go out on a hunt. This is what uh, Pete calls it this time, a hunt. And it's the three of them, Mitch, Pete, and Brian. They come across a small camp of survivors, apparently with some supplies, and, and stuff. they were doing laundry too. Yeah, see, everybody's it's all that's what you do <laughs> in the zombie apocalypse constantly is clean your clothes. Make a camp, feel safe, do, do your laundry. laundry. Yeah. <clears throat> so they hide in the bushes and they talk about stealing their stuff. And uh Pete wants to maybe take them in, like ask them if they want to join the group, but Mitch wants to rob and or kill them. Right. But Pete decides to leave because it wouldn't be right to rob them and take their stuff. So don't do anything. Don't, you know, say hi, you want to trade. No. Anything like that. Just, just sneak off. Skulk away. Don't say or do anything. Yeah. So I guess a little while later, but it's the very next scene, but I guess it's a while later because Mitch comes and all they have is some squirrels and some condensed milk. 
they showed the sky. There was a shot of the sky in between, and that's it, true. Uh, it looked like it was uh, almost evening time. So uh, I assumed that time had passed, like a number of hours. A number of hours, sure. Uh, squirrels and condensed milk. And then as they're looking at their bounty, Brian just wanders off again, and they come back to the same camp that they, to the viewer, just saw, yet yeah. everyone is murdered and dead. I thought this was the dumbest, worst pacing I've seen in a long time on this show. Yeah, it was It was a little jarring. This was also my uh, on my noise list. I assumed that uh, the attack on the camp by whomever made some noise. Mm-hmm. And these guys apparently were, uh, you know, camped out looking for squirrels and condensed milk like 14 paces away from the uh, from the camp. Yep. Uh, so, yeah, that was a little jarring, and I think that they might have been alerted. Like, did they just do a big circle? Did they go walk, uh, you know, 10 miles in one direction and then decide, eh, we need to walk 10 miles back and then sit down, and then we'll complain about the squirrels and condensed milk? I think that's what we are supposed to take from this. They basically left that camp of people, went on their way, continued wherever they were going, and then had to come back. And they were coming back the same way back towards the the camp, like Martinez's camp, who is dead now. Um, but, and, and on the way back, they're complaining about all we got was squirrels and condensed milk. We didn't get any other supplies. This was a huge waste of time. And then they check on that camp again and they're all dead now. I think that's what we were supposed to take from this. It just, there needed something more than a distance shot of the sky to indicate time passing for me. I, I found it terribly jarring. And how did the governor know that the, uh, the, to go back and check on the camp? Did he have like some kind of psychic, I sense death, a disturbance in the force. I must go check it out. Maybe that's his superpower. I don't know. Um, Or maybe he just decided, hey, we're near them again. Why don't we go take another look? I think he's Darth Vader. See what's going on. Personally. I don't know. It just, the pacing was all wrong for me in this. It just didn't feel right. It's like, there they are alive. Two seconds later, there they are dead. Sorry, Darth Vader's lawful evil. It can't be Darth Vader. Okay, well, that's good to know. That's that's the only reason he can't be Darth Vader. <laughs> right. Um, so they walk into the camp, and Brian says that people did this, not walkers. So now there are other people out there, presumably roaming around, you know, doing stuff. And uh, Pete is upset because the people were killed, but Mitch is just pissed off that somebody else got the supplies and they didn't. Right. And then one of the old men who is on the ground, uh, starts to raise his hand, and Mitch just walks over and stabs him in the head. Right. So I, I at this point, I thought the governor did this. I thought that uh, the governor somehow broke away from the group, came back, shot up all these people, took all their supplies, and then was leading them back saying, oh, people came by and must have hurt them and taken all their stuff. Interesting I, idea. I feel wrong about that. I feel that that is not true. But uh, uh, at the time, I thought that that's, that's what happened. That didn't occur to me. I don't think. I don't think so. I don't think it would play out that way because I think again we're supposed to believe that they went on their way and then came back for a while, and we just didn't see all that time pass. Right. Um, but yeah, I mean, we find out later that that the governor uh, does think that killing them and taking their stuff would have been the right thing to do. <laughs> Did you so. notice what happened with the squirrels? What happened with the squirrels? Was the last time we saw a bunch of squirrels on a string, what happened? They got thrown at Rick by Daryl. 
Correct. So I was watching these squirrels. I'm like, oh, we got a string of squirrels. What's going to happen? I watched them. He threw them on the ground really hard. He didn't throw them at anybody, but they were thrown. So people are really upset with strings of squirrels. Yeah. I don't know. Uh, maybe or the writers just hate squirrels. At least when they are upset, they like to throw their squirrels down or at somebody. Yeah. Interesting. But you know what? I wouldn't want to be hit with a rope full of squirrels. So I don't want to be hit with a rope full of any kind of dead body. No. Just saying. <laughs> Just saying. Slap with a fish? No, thank you. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Whack. <laughs> chicken leg? Nope. <laughs> nope. Chicken wing? Not even, really. Yeah, no, not even. I wouldn't want to be hit by a hot dog. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not even sure that's an animal. It. I don't think it is. Not when it's a hot dog, anyway. Yeah. Uh, so we go back inside in one of the uh, campers, and Megan and Lily are organizing medical supplies. And Brian comes in and tells them to pack their things because it's not safe here anymore. And they, they, he says there's some stuff going down that isn't appropriate. And See, what I saw here, or what I thought was going on was that after Brian had killed that group of people, I assumed, like, now I have all of these supplies stashed away someplace. It's time mm. to get the F out of here. Yeah. Once I, again, I'm, I now feel like that's not true. Right, okay. But I could see that as being a good theory, although it didn't occur to me. Um, but the the women protest a little bit, um, but Brian says, things are about to go very wrong here, and I can't lose you again, he says. Right, yep. Interesting choice of words there, I thought. Um, he says, we're leaving tonight, and uh, we cut to them driving away. And if I'm not mistaken, Alicia is with them. Yeah. They got the, they definitely have Alicia with them. So I thought that was nice, and they were all cuddled up in the back too. They were. So they're driving away. It's the middle of the night. It's dark. Going along, suddenly they stop, and the the uh, they're they're shocked and horrified by something in the road ahead of them. Brian gets right. out of the car, and it's some kind of mud pit full of zombies. Yeah. So what the hell's going on here, Jason? I, I think it rained, and that there was a bunch of dirt in the road. And uh, the dirt filled with water, uh, the, the pit filled with water and made mud. And then a bunch of zombies, uh, a herd of zombies walked by and a bunch of them got caught. So do you think it was one of their perfectly square or rectangular pits that no. was full of zombies, but then it caved in a little bit and it formed all this yucky mud and they're stuck in there? No, I think it was a natural zombie mud pit. I don't, I don't know. think anybody planned this. I don't think it's part of any scheme. I thought just it was a bunch of zombies stuck in the mud. Well, I'll tell you what I thought. I thought okay. that this was not necessarily one of their pits that had caved in, but I thought it was man-made, like purposely created as sort of a barrier to the road to prevent uh, prevent cars approaching or, in theory, anybody approaching. Oh. Some sort of like zombie barrier. It, it reminded me of... Uh, the whole trope in horror movies and The Simpsons where there's like one bridge out of town and the flood washes it away so everyone's stuck. Yeah, because they totally gave up right after this. Like, oh, the road's blocked. Exactly. If only there were another road in this country. That's the thing I thought. They can't <laughs> A, drive around, B, turn around and try a different road, you know, C, push the car along the curb, along the shoulder or something. I mean, it just seems so silly. It's like, uh-oh, there's zombies in the road. Let's just go back. Yeah, I mean, a little later they talk about uh, we've, you know, circled the camp with cars, 
So they've been getting cars and vehicles into this camp somehow. Mm-hmm. So somewhere there's a road. And apparently uh, Brian gave up after this. It was so disheartening, so you know, morally destabilizing that it's just like, ah, screw it. Let's go back to camp and go to sleep. Yeah, let's just go back. I mean, this, I whole, this whole leaving thing isn't going to work anyways. But We tried this for 15 minutes and it didn't work. <laughs> Damn That's it. right. We got 10 <laughs> feet down the road and we're screwed. What are we going to do? <laughs> Let's go know. home. For there's a there's a there's a few things in this episode that really I thought were ridiculous and bothered me. Then again, there was some really awesome stuff too. So they go back, and now it's next morning. Brian is getting dressed. Lily wakes up and asks him what he's doing, and he gives her that non-answer again. Says surviving stuff. Yeah, <laughs> I'm gonna do some stuff. I'm gonna do some stuff or whatever. I'm gonna survive. So he's changed his mind. He's instead of fleeing and getting away. He's going to do some stuff so that they can survive here, is what he's right. saying. Now, when you were 15 and your parents asked you, what are you doing? Did you answer, you know, did you answer stuff or nothing? or Probably nothing. Yeah. Did you get away with it? Uh, it sort of probably depended on the circumstances, but sometimes maybe. Where are you going? Out. Oh, I wouldn't get away with that. No, me neither. We, well, I did get away with, like, oh, where where are you going? West? And I usually got away with that. <laughs> oh, well, that's that's fair enough. It's an answer. Out isn't really an answer. Yeah. Because uh, when I said west, that basically meant we're going to the mall. Right. <laughs> hang out in the mall. <laughs> it's the Sioux. You hang out in the mall. All right. Um. Yeah, well, but you're right. That's the kind of answer he's given here. What are you doing? Surviving. What's like, her name's in the bed too, eh? Uh, uh, girlfriend Alicia's there. Alicia's yeah. yeah. Is Tara there? Tara, Alicia, the whole everybody's there. The the bed is like a communal bed now. Everybody was sleeping there, as far as I could tell. So we've got three women, a child, and Brian all sleeping in one small camper bed. Right. That and is a the, big pile of people. Yeah, and probably lots of sex. <laughs> That's right, because there's Cause the shocks are rocking. Two couples and a kid. That's weird, man. Well, get rid of the kid. You could have yourself a party. I suppose you could. Instead, though, Brian goes to survive. And uh, by that, I mean he goes to Pete's trailer, kills him, yep. stabs him in the back, and then chokes him to death. Just like uh, Assassin's Creed. That was a very Assassin's Creed. It was very Ezio or, uh, what's his name, Altair yeah. or uh, Connor. Hidden Connor blade the to the back. Yeah, Connor. Yeah, it, was, uh, it, was, uh, it was quite the thing. I was like, yeah, Assassin's Creed. <laughs> didn't occur to me but you're absolutely right <laughs> uh so he does that then he goes to mitch's trailer bangs on the door with a bloody hand and i'm thinking the same kind of mark that carol left after burning the bodies oh my god you're right yeah the same kind of mark on the door the side of the hand yeah wow i wonder if that was intentional i don't know it was fun though good call though man stabs him in the back and then chokes him out uh, yeah, that was Pete. Now he's at Mitch's trailer, though. Yeah. Leave it banging on the door. And uh, when Mitch opens the door, there's the governor pointing a gun at him. And uh, inside, he goes in and he tells him Pete's dead. And Brian says to uh, Mitch, you were right about the camp and uh, that Pete was the kind of guy who always did the right thing, which doesn't really work. That's why I had to stab him in the back. That's why I had to kill him, exactly. Mitch is a frightened little uh, little thing in this whole scene. 
Like he's pretty much shaking, shaking and giving up, and yeah, uh, he he pretty much peed his pants here. I think he, he I, I suppose, although he stands up to you know make himself seem like a bigger man when he says, "I killed your brother," right? But that doesn't work out so well because you know the governor has a gun pointing at him. Yeah, and he uh, he tells him a story about his brother and how he stood up to their father when he stole some smokes. And he actually calls his brother a hero in this scene. Yeah. The governor yeah. calls his brother, childhood brother, a hero. And uh, Brian says, I'm running things now. And he, he tells Mitch that he can join him if he wants. <laughs> <laughs> and then he says, you'll never have to worry about doing the right thing or the wrong, wrong thing because we'll do the only thing. Oh, he's the emperor and Mitch is Darth Vader. Join me and I'll complete your training. Right. That's it's more of Darth Darth Vader and Luke, but the 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 analogy is the same. He's the emperor and uh Mitch is going to be Darth Vader. All right. There you go. I can get on board with that. Yeah, we just and uh what do we got? We got Luke Skywalker is Rick, I would assume. Yeah. I guess right, so. Well, yeah, it, yeah, everything comes back to Star Wars. It seems to. <laughs> and then you can draw a line directly from The Walking Dead to Star Wars to the Bible story. Somehow, I'm sure. I am sure. Um, but what did you think of this line is, you don't have to worry about the right thing or the wrong thing. Just do something. Do the only thing. Whatever you do is is okay. I think that's going to speak to Mitch specifically because he was in the army. Because there's an adage. There's the right way, there's the wrong way, and there's the army way. I got it. So the word they're going to do things the army way. It's not right. It's not wrong. It's just the way things got to be done. It's the way it is. Yeah. yeah. And you're right. That speaks to a guy who's got that sort of background, that sort of mentality. Right. Follow the uh, chain of command. That's the most important thing. That's because he's lawful evil. Mitch is lawful evil, and uh, the governor is true evil, neutral evil. Okay. You've got it all figured out. Yeah, I think so. Um, we see a shot of the pond, and Brian is there throwing Pete's body into the lake with chains around his legs. We hear chains. We don't see chains. You're right. We hear, we hear them. Uh, but he's dead, so why does he need chains around his legs? Well, uh, you know, I watched this with my wife uh, today, actually, after she got home from work, so just very recently. And... Uh, you know, she's very good at TV. She's much better at TV than I am. Mm-hmm. And as soon as she saw the heads missing from those guys, she's like, oh, now there's zombie heads somewhere. So she just knew that there was going to be zombie heads somewhere. Yeah. And then uh, as soon as she stabbed uh, Pete in the back and choked him out, she's like, he didn't destroy his brain. He's coming back. Yeah. Well, that's that. Uh, that's what happens in a minute. But um, we get a voiceover while he's doing this of, Mitch talking about what they're going to tell the group. And Brian says, we'll tell them he died on a supply run, saving our asses. Everybody loves a hero. Right. Which makes me think, uh, how stupid is this group? Like, are they all, like, uh, Pete's camper was not, you know, far away from the group. And somebody probably knows that Pete was in his trailer. And nobody saw them taking the body out and carting it over to the lake. And and what are they going to do? They say, we're going to go out for a run. Uh, and find us, find some supplies, and uh, yeah, Pete's with us. You may not see him, but uh, we've got him. He's uh, he, he's in this bag. No, no, no. Uh, they were weakened at burning him. They were. Oh, right. Okay, that makes perfect sense. They, so they they tied one to uh, well, one leg to each of their legs, and they yeah. put the arms around him, sunglasses on, exactly, and away they go for a walk. And That's away they fun. go. Gotcha. 
<laughs> That's the only way, the only possible way they could have done this. Yeah, please, please ignore the stab wound. Oh, they would have put a jacket on him. It's fine. No, I'm good. Yeah. Weekend at Bernie's. See? Um, so now we cut over to the camp, and they're having what can only be described as a status meeting. The feeling I got here is now some time had gone by, a little bit yep. of time anyways. The governor has established uh, his rule over this thing. And at this scene, I think this scene is where I basically pinpointed that the governor is back. Right. And I've kind of been calling him Brian all this time, although I slipped a couple times, I think. But what I wanted to do is call him Brian up to this point, and now he's the governor again. But it's not really a town. It's uh, it's more of a, a road warrior situation it's a, here it's with a, a bunch camp. of campers. Totally. But you can still be the governor, I think. And I, th- I mean that more metaphorically, right? Like this right. is the governor personality is returned. Uh, but they're having a status meeting, and we find out, you know, somebody's building a perimeter, somebody's managing the pits. Tara this has is, organized the armory. Yeah, this is where they that, uh, where they said that they're bringing the cars in. They've circled, like, how's the defenses going? We've ringed the camp in cars. We've put up defenses. So there's a road somewhere yeah. that the governor apparently doesn't know about and can't find right. to get away. <laughs> but you see some guys building those um, cross-type things that... Uh, they have at the prison too. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Barricades. You, yeah, whatever you call those. Stanchions. Sure. Why not? So I really think that he's building a little new Woodbury here. That's kind of yeah. what he's doing. He's fortifying this place. He's organizing it, and he's—it's not a town. It's—it's it's a camp in the woods. But this is his like new Woodbury, basically. Yep. You know that's what he's going for. They've circled the wagons. Absolutely, and he says they're only going to use arrows from now on. Bullets are a luxury. And he also tells them when they're out on runs to avoid strangers. Just don't go near them. Don't kill them. Don't bring them back. Just try to avoid them. Right. All kinds of rules, man. This guy likes the rules. He does. He likes laying down the rules. Like his rule. He's not not following his rules. That's right. It's a do as I say, not as I do kind of situation. So we cut to a scene where the governor is looking at a map. He circles something on the map. And he tells Lily that maybe they can find a better place if they're willing to fight for it. Right. So he obviously knows the prison is out there. That is a better place to live. But there are already people there, so we got to fight for it. We get a quick scene with Megan running up to Tara, her aunt, and tells her that she's it for a game of tag. And uh, they start playing tag. And um, inside, though, the governor is cleaning his eye. He's cleaning his eye injury, and Lily eye comes... Hole. His eye hole. Lily comes in and helps him, even though he doesn't want her to see his wound. Yeah, gross. But, but he's opening up to her, obviously, right? He lets well, yeah, her do she, it. Yeah, she totally loves him. She would. Uh, she's you know, willing to look at his eye and you know, not think he's gross. Touch his eye hole. So Megan's outside running around, and they're playing tag or hide-and-seek or something, and she comes across a walker who's hiding behind the laundry. Yeah. <laughs> Just standing there. Until she moves the sheet. So the moral of this story is don't do laundry. Obviously. It'll just get you killed. Because you're going to just endanger yourself if you do any kind of laundry whatsoever. Yep. So find new clothes, throw out the old clothes, don't launder anything. Or at least never hang anything up to dry, giant sheets like that. Right. Or, you know, hang things up to dry uh, somewhere that they won't obstruct your view of anything. Yeah. Way up in a tree. Yeah. Hang them up indoors. Maybe, you know, inside yeah, the camper. That. It's good for your air, uh, your humidity too, you know, if you have dry it, air. It would be, yeah. Yeah. 
Um, so she screams. She runs away, tries to crawl under a camper, but the walker gets her leg and is kind of yanking at it. By this time, Tara's run over and tries to pull the walker off by its leg, but mostly just removes all its skin and flesh. That Gross. was kind of nasty. All the meat comes off. I guess that's that's what happens when you try and pick up a, a cooked turkey by the leg. It just <laughs> yeah. kind of, all the flesh just kind of rips off. Oh, that's, <clears throat> cooked turkeys are delicious, but. They are, but, uh, you know, that's this, the kind of thing that, that oh, that's what it reminded me of. It's like trying to pick up a cooked turkey. This was just leg. nasty. Um, suddenly, you know, things are looking bad, and then all of a sudden the governor appears and shoots it in the head. Saves the day. Yeah, bullets aren't a luxury for him. Yep. Or I guess this, maybe this qualifies as enough of an emergency for him to use a bullet. Well, they don't have any arrows yet. I guess they haven't made them. <laughs> they haven't made their bows and arrows yet. Yeah. Um, everybody else is kind of gathering around and watching and is all upset, and the governor just walks off. We've seen him do this before, too. In Woodbury, remember he shot that one guy in the main street of Woodbury and then just turns around and walks away? Yeah. In cases where he's killing somebody or something, he's a man of few words. He's a, He likes, uh, he's got a, a, you know, he's got a dramatic flair about him. Yeah, he does. He likes to make a make an exit. He does. Um, we cut to him. He's standing on the dock at the pond and he looks down and we see zombie Pete struggling under the water, weighed down by those chains that we didn't see, I guess. Yep. Now, when this, at first, I thought the governor was imagining this scene. I thought he was visualizing, uh, Pete in the water struggling, but that's not really the case. It actually was zombie Pete struggling under that water to get up. Crystal clear water. Yeah. This pond was not pondy there was, was no uh, gunk in the pond it was very very clean pond and deep uh like right off that the, dock yeah right off that dock it was very deep so i'm thinking if this this might have been a quarry an old quarry that got filled up oh maybe because it was also you know there was no uh if you looked around the edge of it it looked like the the edging was straight up and down like it was forest 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 deep water pond yeah. Right. A man-made so, hole that they filled with water. Some kind of man-made hole or, you know, maybe a meteor struck down here and <laughs> spread a, a virus around to uh, infect humanity with something or other. So this is the source of it all, eh? From yeah, space. Yeah, right here, this pond. Right here. And we're going to, and uh, Pete's going to be the first super zombie that got a double dose of the uh, 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 of the virus. I really hope you're wrong. <laughs> He's going to become the first <laughs> lich in the uh, in the show. Oh, this is the source of the lich, I see. Yeah. Amazing. Well, we cut to the governor driving up in a truck. He stops the truck, gets out, and walks through the forest. And you can tell he's looking at something. And we find out that he's watching Carl and Rick working on their garden from a distance. Right. But Carl's wearing his hat. Yeah. So he's not, it's, it's not a farming hat. Why is he farming in his sheriff and hat? Oh, yeah, he doesn't wear the hat when he's farming, does he? No, he doesn't. Except was he wearing the hat at the end of the episode, a couple episodes ago, when the governor was staring at him? Well, I don't necessarily put this all in the same line, like in the same timeline. I think that there is, this kind of just shows that he's watching the uh, the prison. So, this, the, you know, the actual watching of the prison could have taken place over a large number of hours. Okay, well, let's let's get to that in a second. Let's just finish out the episode here. Okay. Um, so he sees them working. Then he takes his gun out of his pocket, probably puts his finger on the trigger. Yeah. 
and he's walking through the forest some more until he finds Michonne and Herschel. And we see sort of his view, his vantage point on them. Michonne's got a huge smile on her face, like everything is great now, you know, life is good. Burying zombies, yay! That's right, everything's fine now, nobody's sick anymore. The governor looks at Michonne, raises his gun toward her, the camera kind of pulls back from him a little bit, and the episode ends. So we don't know that he was aiming at Michonne. He, he might raised, have been aiming at Herschel. Okay, well, he he raised his gun in the direction of those two people. Yeah, let's I, say I'm that. not entirely convinced he's aiming at Michonne. Well, if you're gonna if you're gonna shoot one of those two, wouldn't you want to shoot Michonne? Because Herschel is going to be a lot less effective at fighting back. It depends on what your your goal is. If your goal is to add chaos to the group to the situation then uh, you know shooting Herschel would be impactful. You know, honestly, I'd probably just shoot them both. Bang, yeah. Bang. Well, I suppose that's true. Herschel's not going to run away, though, as we know. So, um, anyhow, so uh, so here that's we are. True. We shoot Michonne first because Herschel can't run. Yeah. All he can do is sort of fall down and hope right. you don't if, see him. If you shoot Herschel, Michonne's pretty quick and has a sword. She might just turn and run right direct, directly at you. But he has a semi-automatic pistol, but well, it might jam. You never know. I mean, she might be able to get away. That's what I'm saying, whereas Herschel, not so much. Right. So here we are. We've caught up to the point, I guess, at which um, the last time we saw the prison gang took place. Yep. And the governor's outside watching. And uh, there you go. He's, he's, got a, he's got something in mind. He's got a plan, and I think he's starting to execute that plan right now. Now, the last time he did this, where he aimed from within the bushes and shot somebody at the prison, he shot Axel. That's true, from a a fair distance. From a fair—he had a rifle at that point. Yeah. I'm thinking he had the same rifle that he was using uh, during— remember when he had a rifle and he was walking through the woods when they met those other group of people? Mm Mm-hmm. It was a Sterog. I think that's what it's called. It's a bullpup design. It's uh, the uh, the magazine is actually behind in the in the shoulder stock. Yep, uh, it makes the whole thing shorter. <clears throat> he had that before uh, in Woodbury. Okay, which make, I think Martinez probably has it and then kept it, and then the the governor went, "Hey, I'm going to use that thing again." That's my anyway, gun. That was another. That's just an aside. Something that. Uh, you know, reminded me of that. But the last time he did this, he shot Axel, which I'm not sure if that was, uh, you know, it depends. I'm not sure what that means. I, I just know that uh, he shot somebody and wasn't able to shoot the, the next person. So maybe he knows that he can get one of them, but probably not both. Well, uh, I don't know. I mean, I uh, I threw a theory out there after our last podcast at the at the very, very end, and I warned people that it was... You know, kind of spoilery for the comic because I think what we're seeing here is a pretty direct, you know, uh, representation of what happened in the comic. Slash and, Mad Max. Yeah. Okay. And and I won't go into it right here again, um, but maybe talk about it at the end of this episode briefly because I think it's absolutely happening and going to play out that way. Like everything I see has just convinced me a hundred percent that this is what's going to happen. Right. And everything I see has convinced me that Mad Max is going to happen. <laughs> He's sure. got his vehicles now. He's like the whole encampment is all vehicles. Yeah. 
including a tank. Including a tank. All he needs is a gyrocopter and it's Mad Max and a tanker truck. Yeah. Well, tanker truck maybe. Gyrocopter, that's harder to come by. Hey, Mad Max was post-apocalyptic too and they found a gyrocopter. I guess. In Australia, for crying out loud. Well, that's where all the gyrocopters are, man. Well, I don't know. I just think that uh, Australia is pretty barren in the middle there. Uh-huh. Uh, you know, there's probably not a whole lot of different gyrocopters, but Atlanta probably has more gyrocopters than the middle of Australia. <laughs> I don't know. Um, <laughs> anyways, what did you think of this episode? Were you happy to see another Strictly Governor episode, or were, are you missing the prison gang a little bit? Uh, I think it's time to go back to the prison gang. I d- didn't miss them in this episode, but after this is done, I'm ready for a prison gang again. Well, we're getting there. I mean, I'm pretty sure that that's who we're going to see, you know, next episode. We're going to see these two groups come together and have some sort of conflict. Yes. Um, I, you know, I, I think I liked this episode. There were things about this episode that I thought were really dumb, like the pacing or the how, you know, what we talked about with the, that other camp where the people were alive and then immediately dead. Um, and there were a few other things that I thought didn't work out. You pointed out some of the sound, you know, the, the noise problems and the pits and stuff like that. But I also thought there was some stuff in here that worked really, really well. Um, the cold open, I thought, was really good between him yep. and uh, Megan, the girl. And I don't know, just some of the other things about the way the governor sort of came back to being, you know, going from being Brian to being the governor again. Uh, Even though things like when they were driving away and there was the zombie mud pit, dumb, just didn't work for me. But at least, at least we saw his progression over, I guess, over both of these episodes to going from being completely lost, a guy with nothing to live for to a man with a purpose, right? Right. He's he's now got a new family, a new team. He's got supplies, weapons, vehicles, and now he can do something again. And that journey is complete for him. Right. And in between, he forgot how to say no thank you. Uh, Instead, he bashed Martinez on the head with a golf club. Sure, but it's all part of his plan, right? You don't just... No, I think that was a mental break. He broke there. He uh, was unable. As soon as he said, I want to give you some responsibility and some authority, he's like, screw you. I'm going to kill you so that you can't give me that because me saying no thank you wouldn't work in any reality. So I have to bash your head in and throw you into the zombie pit. Well, wait a minute. So does at that point, at that moment in time, has Brian already decided that he is going to kill his way to the top of this group? Or... Or not? Well, it depend- I guess it all depends on what he was saying. I don't want it to. I, was he saying I don't want it to having any kind of authority, or was he saying I don't want it to sharing authority? Right. We don't really know. I mean, either way, but either way, he wanted to be the leader of this group. I think. I'm not entirely convinced at that point that he did. I thought that at that point, I thought he was saying that he didn't. He did not want to be in, have any kind of authority. He just wanted to protect his newly acquired family right so maybe it was it was the point at which he realized that pete and mitch had two very different sort of approaches to this and he knew that would never really work so he decided he had to take over because he has a you know a defined goal or at least a process for leading (laughs) i don't even think that was uh i don't even think that was the decision point i think somehow the road when he was trying to get away was his decision point because he, you know, before that he didn't want authority and he just wanted to do his part to protect his family, to not be dead weight. 
and then uh, they tried to escape, went down the road, found a pit full of zombies. Somehow it went... Uh, maybe maybe that decision point was right there, was I have to protect these people from zombies. You know, the threat is zombies, and this it's manifesting right in front of me as this big slime pit full of, uh, you know, 50 zombies, and I can't really protect them out here. I have to protect them by leading this group. And in order to do that, I have to do these, you know, A, B, and C, which is, you know, Assassin's Creed, this guy, and then threaten the other guy. But don't you think that would be, like, the weakest point of this episode for him to come to that realization you know yeah I, I i get your i get your point where he's he realizes that you know out in the world i can't keep them safe because look at all these zombies so at least in this camp i can kill some people and control things right but i just feel like there's so many other things that happened here that maybe would have switched him back into governor governor mode where he goes i need to take over this you know, this group and do things my way because my way is the best way. Yeah. And I, and I agree that it is, that would be weak and I'm rationalizing because everything before that point, before trying to escape was him not wanting authority and just wanting to keep his family unit safe. Everything after that point was him trying to get uh, leadership of this group as a whole. Right. And, and it's clear to me that He's trying to get leadership for the purpose of attacking the prison. I, I just I just think that's going to happen, right? Uh, why I, why would he go? That. No, because he circled it on the map, and he said to Lily, there's somewhere else that we can live safer. We just have to fight for it. You know, right. we could stay here, and everything might be okay, but there's somewhere better, but it's not going to be easy. So he's he's been moving towards that at least after he decided to take control of this group. So is he really just trying to take control so he can do things his way and and keep his family safe? Or is the ultimate goal taking over the prison, moving in there, because that's where he thinks they can be the safest, and if we kill a few people on the way, so be it. Right, and I, I agree with everything you said except for the motives. And I sort of agree with the motives because you kind of uh, said two different motives there. I agree with one of them. That uh, everything... Uh, is a step towards the ultimate goal of keeping his family safe. And that goal has been present ever ever since he met that family and had uh, become part of, you know, the one little group. That little group being safe is the ultimate uh the ultimate motive. Everything he's done has been trying to do that. Up until he they tried to escape, it was uh, you know, just keep the group, this little tiny group family safe. Everything after that was, I need to do larger things in order to uh, secure the safety of this family unit. The larger things are take over the group as a whole. And even then, it's not that's not going to make them safe. I have to take over the prison because that's a safer place. And that is a step towards the ultimate goal of keeping them safe, keeping the family safe. So you don't think his motivations are in any way driven by revenge on Rick and the gang or possibly Michonne or you know anybody else that he had he came in contact with it's really all about Lily and Megan now and to a lesser degree Tara probably that's the beauty of a good plan is you get to accomplish multiple goals with the same actions <laughs> okay i could buy that i can i the revenge is there but i don't think that's his overriding goal I think that he knows that Michonne is, uh, you know, is marked for death in his mind. Mm -hmm. And if he can get around to doing that while 
keeping his family safe, then all right then, let's do this and let's kill her and them and all that stuff and everybody and, uh, and then everybody's safe. Or everybody I like is safe. Everybody I don't like is dead. All right. Well, I, this episode overall for me, despite some of the dumb stuff in it uh, that didn't work, I thought it was okay. And I am glad, though, that we're not getting... I, I'm glad that we're the stories have come together again, that the prison story is going to be introduced again for the mid-season finale, which is next week. I wouldn't want to see another episode of just Governor coming back kind of stuff because that's been great and all but two episodes was enough yeah and the only way we could uh, have another governor centric episode was to uh, have some more inner conflict between you know within that that group so we don't need that we need conflict with the other group exactly which they've also reserved resolved their inner conflict right Right. so now these two groups are going to (laughs) conflict that's correct (laughs) all righty well let us know what you thought of this episode. You can always give us a call or send us email, and uh, we'll be doing our feedback show on Wednesday this week. So since we didn't do one last week, there will be probably lots of feedback coming up on Wednesday. So if you have something to say, get it into us. That's because you were too lazy. <sighs> I was too blasé <laughs> on Wednesday night. Yeah, we do a show every week, so it's not really <laughs> exciting anymore. No, man, you have no idea. I worked so much in Regina I was there, you know, to work, and it was just long-ass days. That Wednesday is the first time I've ever gone, like, all day on a regular podcast day and not even thought about it once. Like, most of the time, I think about it all day long. Like, what are we going to do? I got to get organized. I got to get some stuff ready. That day, I was so busy and preoccupied, it just never came up until I texted you. Or I think until you texted me. I texted you. I said, we doing this or not? Yeah, and I was like, oh, my God, no, sorry. <laughs> I, no, I totally forgot. <laughs> so we will be doing that on Wednesday, though. But first, quick break right now. Come back, and we are going to do our Holy Craps Did You See That when this show returns. Holy craps. Listeners of The Talking Dead Audible is offering a free audiobook with a free 30-day trial so you have a chance to check out their service. What book, Jason, would we like to recommend to get people started with Audible this week? Well, we are going to recommend a book that uh, we just got, well, I just got for my wife to listen to, The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe. Oh. C.S. Lewis. The classic. Yeah. So uh, my teacher read this to me in grade four, not to me, to the class. It felt like it was just to me. It felt very personal, but it was actually in, to the entire class. Mm-hmm. And then there was a movie. <laughs> yeah, but about 20 years later or 25 yeah. years later. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, yeah, we just bought The uh, the, the Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe, The Chronicles of Narnia. You know, this is one of those books where 
I think, you know, a lot of people have probably read it, read it as children, but it's one of those books that I recommend you going back to, to re-experience as an adult. The, the Line, the Witch, and the Wardrobe series was one of the first bunches of books that I read as a kid, sort of on my own, and really, really enjoyed and really felt like they were important and special to me. And I have read reread some of them as, as an adult, and they're just as good, just Holy as crap. good now as There's when I was a seven of them. Yeah. I read all seven as a kid. Um, I've reread maybe only three of them as an adult. But uh, good recommendation. So far, I think she's uh, really enjoying it. Cool. The Lion, The Witch in the Wardrobe, or any of the seven Narnia books um, uh, you can get from Audible. And to do so, go to audibletrial.com slash talkingdead. That's audibletrial.com slash talkingdead for any of the Narnia books or another of their 100,000 title catalog for free. I prefer to dance at home. And Holy crap. Did you see that? All righty. We're going to start with a call from Matt in Delaware this week. Hey, guys. This is Matt from Delaware. I just wanted to share my holy crap moment for this week. Um, I guess, holy crap, how did the governor get his rifle back? Um, It's the same one that he used to cut down all those Woodbury people at the end of Season 3, and it's definitely would have to be the same one because it's a really unique rifle. I remember looking it up. It's a Speyer AUG, and it's got a, a unique design where the magazine loads behind the handle, and I really don't think that they would find too many of those where he would just happen to come upon another one. So I'm curious what you guys think. If, if Martinez was holding it for him or was, because he obviously wasn't carrying it when he uh, made it to the apartment looking like Ron Burgundy. So... I just wanted to get your guys' input on that. It just seems like a big plot hole, and they just kind of wanted to recomplete the uh, the governor's look. Um, anyway, love the podcast. Have a good day, guys. Thank you, Matt. So, Jason, you and Matt, exactly the same question. Sorry about that, Matt. <laughs> I didn't realize I was stealing your thunder there. No, yeah, it's, it's all right. Yeah, it's a It's a bullpup design uh, for the oh, Austria. Place of origin is Austria. Ah, cool. Um, I think I'm going to go with the theory that uh, Martinez still had it. Martinez yeah. stole his his weapon when he took off, which is kind of a dick move. I mean, if you're going to leave a guy, at least leave him his gun. Oh, he didn't want to live anyway. He had to fend off the zombie that came through the fire. After I guess so Martinez figured he'd put it to better use. Uh, but let's just say Martinez had it, and uh, Matt's right. They wanted to complete the governor's look. They wanted to complete his ensemble and give him his gun back. Yep. So let's do it. That Why not? Uh, all right. Uh, who's starting here, uh, Jason? Uh, okay. So we have an email. Uh, so I guess uh, these three are the same, or it's very similar. James from Pittsburgh and Stephen from the LBC and Gemma from the UK. Yeah, they all uh, wrote in basically the same thing, but this is what Gemma had to say. Right. My holy crap moment was Pete sunk down on the bottom of the lake 
writhing around as a walker and the gov standing above him on the deck like an advanced version of the zombie uh, the zombie heads in the tank but darker right so a lot of people picked up on this the governor standing there looking at pete down under the water and he's just standing there staring at him this is the governor's new zombie tank fish tank heads yeah it, he he collects tro- trophies so he's uh, very much a psychopath yeah and this is even better because the zombie's still like alive, sort of. Although the heads were alive the heads too. Were alive. There was two heads in the uh, in the cabin. Maybe he's like, oh, but they weren't personal kills of his. Right. Right. Yeah. So is he gonna start throwing more people? Is his idea, anyways, to throw more people down in the in the lake and just keep looking at them? Hell yeah. I think so. I think it's a hell yeah. All right. So Akili from the internet, apologies if that's uh, incorrect pronunciation of your name, and Neil from the internet wrote in with um, the zombies rising up from the mud quicksand pit like demons in the afterlife. That's what Neil had to say. Wow. Uh, Good description. Demons in the afterlife. Demons in the afterlife. Did you pronounce uh, Neil's name right? Uh, Unless it's Nail. But it's probably Neil. <laughs> Neil. <laughs> Maybe. <laughs> I don't know. All right. So uh, this one's from Facebook. Uh, Jessica writes, uh, my holy crap is the beginning with Brian doing laundry. Really? Laundry? I guess someone's got to do it. And when they pan out, they see a quaint and unassuming camping site with a big tank right next to it. Boom. Big tank. There's a big tank boom right there. Uh, that was good. The way they sort of they sort of hit it, right? You don't know it's there, and then you get a wide shot. Giant freaking tank. I saw the barrel just before they hit the wide shot. I was like, oh, that looks like the barrel of a tank. And bang, it was. Yeah. Paul from the internet writes, um, The governor sneaks through the bushes and spots Michonne and Herschel. This means that, in terms of a timeline, he returned to the prison the day after the walkers broke through the fence. Therefore, it couldn't have been the governor using the rats as bait, because it would have happened days or perhaps weeks earlier. We can only assume, then, that it was Lizzie after all. So this is less of a holy crap, did you see that, and more of a holy crap, did you catch that timeline? Um, but what do you what do you think of this, Jason? Does this definitively mean that the governor wasn't the one putting the rats there to lure the zombies to the fence? I don't think it's definitive, but I think it's uh, good enough for me. Yeah, I'm not so sure either. We don't know for sure that this is the first time the governor has come back to the prison to spy on them. He well, could have been doing this all along. We just didn't see it. But he would have had a big, stupid beard. If uh, if this was before he met the family. No, I don't think before he met the family, but he's been in the camp for some time now. So he could have been making trips to the prison, you know, all this time after he shaved. Uh, yeah, I'm not convinced of that. I think that it was after he circled it on the map and said, I, I know of a safer place. So now he's scouting out that safer place. So this is the first time he's gone there and therefore it's not him planting the rats. Yeah, I would. Yeah, I agree with that. I don't think it's. We don't have definitive proof, but uh, this is good enough for me that he didn't. Uh, he didn't use the rats to try and lure the zombies. I wonder if we're going to actually find out who was planting those rats there. I sure hope so. That'd it, be dumb if we didn't. It would be dumb, but it reminds me of last season when we see somebody peering at Carol through, from the bushes while she's doing that zombie autopsy. That practice cesarean section, yeah, and we don't really get definitive a definitive answer on who that was. That's true. So I hope they don't pull one of those on us. Anyways, yeah. all right. So we have an email from Darcy in Melbourne, Australia. 
My holy crap moment for this episode is when the little girl, Megan, from Brian's group was getting attacked by the walker she discovered when running around, and she was crawling under the van. I was thinking, oh man, this is another Sophia situation. Yep, Sophia hiding under a truck, then runs off, gets lost, and comes out of the barn. Yeah, I'm glad they didn't do that. Yeah, me too. So the rest of these, uh, or at least a good portion of them, are from the previous episode, Live Bait. Barbara from the internet writes, My holy crap moment this week is about pillows. Not only is there a picture of a parrot above the governor's shoulder on a pillow, making him actually look like a pirate (laughs) while he's laying on the couch, there's also a pillow that says, This too shall pass. Maybe this was a pillow episode instead of a bottle episode. Oh, maybe. (laughs) Pillow episode. That's a new new kind of episode there. Like pillow lava. I mentioned that before. You didn't believe me that it existed. Oh, did, yeah, I did didn't you look, look it up. up. No. You should. It <laughs> exists. All right. All right, so we have an email from Diana in Pittsburgh. In Brian's apartment across the way from oh. the... Sorry. What? It's nothing is the same one as the one before, but go ahead. <laughs> what? Oh, this uh, the pillow on the couch embroidered with the phrase, this too shall pass. Yeah. So a couple I thought of people... maybe I pronounced Brian wrong somehow. No, it's Could brain. You cut me off. <laughs> it's <laughs> Sorry. brain, excuse me? Yeah. No, I didn't mean to cut you off there. Sorry. It's just I suddenly realized this is the same as Barbara's. But uh, this too shall pass. Um, his time in the apartment, I guess, shall pass. I guess it will. Or his time with a giant beard shall pass. Everything shall pass, really. Nothing this too shall is pass. permanent. Nothing is permanent. Except for a marker. That stuff will stay with you. Yeah. <laughs> uh, Gala from Maple, Ontario writes, That pit. How awesome was that scene? Some wicked hand-to-dead combat there. <laughs> Although, I may never look at bacon the same way again, since that's what they used in the walker's throat. Nice. They used bacon in that walker's throat? I didn't know that. That's cool. It's cool, delicious, and disgusting all at the same time. That's a delightful throat. (laughs) All right, so we have uh, an email from Matt in New Jersey. Holy crap. Would you have thought the zombie in the bathtub would have been the third most disgusting zombie of that episode? There was such a terrific makeup and prosthetics that the throat and bone kills top the bathtub kill. Nice job, Nicotero. Nice job. That, sounds, that sounded sarcastic at the end. I'm sorry. Nice job, Nicotero. Yeah, no, it, it's that's not sarcastic at all. I <laughs> no, I'm, I think Matt is genuinely praising. Greg no, I, I know. I just I, I my inflection was seemed a little like it was sarcastic. To <laughs> nice me, so job, to go Nicotero. Back and fix, nice job, dude. <laughs> Uh, okay, going, Nick. Craig from Scotland writes, There were a few holy crap moments in this brilliant episode. I picked the two most brutal zombie kills, both right in front of the wee lassie. First one, her granddad. Good for the viewers, not so good for a 10-year-old girl. Surely a more subtle and dignified death was called for. And the second was the Pez dispenser zombie, gruesomely pried open with a bone, again in close quarters of the kid. Both shows uh both show he views the little girl as his daughter his second chance also i think it's a nice callback to season three where the governor in conversation with milton said if i was this way before she'd still be alive or something to that effect nice so uh frank from the internet also wrote in and called the bone zombie pez zombie which i thought was clever um, but this whole observation from Craig here that uh, it is a bit of a callback where the governor's sort of like, if I was more brutal from the beginning, Penny might still be alive if I could have done what I needed to at the time. Um, and uh, I think I think it's appropriate. I think it works. Yeah, absolutely. I think it's uh, it's a I, I think it's great. 
for sure. Uh, and that's going to do it. That is all our holy crap. Did you have a particular one this week, Jason? Uh, no, I mean, I kind of interjected in the uh, in the episode itself about my holy craps. The, uh, the, the lots of noise, the straight uh, walls for the pits, the uh, governor's finger on the trigger, uh, that kind of stuff. All these little details that just all these drive little you crazy, nitpicky right? things that just drive me crazy that I really shouldn't bring up because they're not really a big deal. I'm going to get over the pits and the zombies. Uh, the pits uh, for the zombies. I'm going to get over the finger on the trigger thing because that's part of his character. Yep. Apparently, you know, they, that's a conscious choice by somebody because anybody who's training that actor how to use a fake firearm would say, get your finger off that trigger. Anyway. All righty. Well, if I had to I'm choose still one. going on about it even though I said I've gotten over it. No, you're fine. You're by fine. next week for sure. <laughs> Until we see something next week that drives you insane. That's right. Um, you know, if I had to, they, they kind of spoiled the tank. If you looked at any of the uh, pre-release photos for this episode, there's a shot with the governor sitting there and you can see the tank tread in front of him. And I'm like, seriously, guys, why would you do that? I mean, that tank, I know didn't play a big role in this episode, but it was clearly a bit of a reveal right there at the beginning, you know, because they keep it hidden and then all of a sudden, bam, tank. And as you said, you show a tank at the beginning of the episode that tank's got to be used sometime soon. Yeah. And I have a pretty good feeling it is going to be used. So yeah, it's totally Chekhov's tank. Exactly. So, you know, other if if that hadn't been kind of spoiled by the marketing for this episode, I would have been like, holy crap, did you just see that tank? Because, <laughs> you know, I, I, I have a pretty good feeling of what's going to come. So it's too bad that sometimes they release pictures like that. That's all I'm going to say. Do they have diesel for the tank? Well, I'm going to figure they do. Do they have a trained crew that knows how to, to load and fire that thing? Mitch is still said, alive. Mitch said he was a tank driver. Yeah. Doesn't he doesn't that... load or fire the thing. He probably knows how generally, but uh, if he's going to be driving, then uh, he's going to trust somebody else to load and fire that thing? In a pinch, I'm sure he could do it and train somebody else to do it. Right. You know, I'm pretty sure, like, I don't know, maybe you know this, but if you are trained as a tank driver in the military, don't you think you get general overall tank training too? Probably. Yeah. So he can he can load and fire it, not not just steer. I guess he can <laughs> train somebody else to, to steer it because basically it's got a gas pedal, a brake, well, not even a gas pedal and a brake pedal. It's got pretty much a, a set of handlebars that uh, you push forward and, uh, you know, if you push the right forward, the right tent tread goes. Push left forward, the left tread goes. Right, and that that's also how you steer. <laughs> Pretty straightforward, like driving a big golf cart. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Although golf carts don't have independent wheels. Well, they have steering, gas, and brake, whereas this, the, all the controls are, are one. And let me just preface this by, uh, or post this. Sure. It's afterwards. Yes. Uh, say that I, I, I actually know nothing about tanks. I've never been in one. I don't actually know how they drive. So bear with me if I'm incorrect. But I know that it's, real, from what I've heard and read and seen on TV, they're relatively straightforward to drive. All righty. Well, that's good news because someone's going to have to drive that thing, I think. Yeah. Uh, but we will find out next week on the mid-season finale. And if you heard my theory, you, I have a pretty good idea of how it's going to go down. Me too. Uh, Road Warrior. Yeah, Told you. Road Warrior. Absolutely. That's, that's going to be what it is. Uh, so until then, if you want to contact us, give us a call at one 483 9662 you can also find us on Twitter at Talking Dead or on Facebook at facebook.com slash the Talking Dead. Please send all email to talkingdeadpodcast at gmail.com. 
And if you want to, you know, if you want to have a shirt, you want to buy a shirt, you can do that. You can go to talkingdeadpodcast.com slash shirts. That's a good way to uh, help us out a little bit. All the, you know, the small little cut we get from shirt sales goes right back into hosting and stuff like that. And of course, if you want to do your holiday shopping, use our Amazon link, amazon.talkingdeadpodcast.com. Again, anything collected there just goes right back into the podcast to make sure we keep the lights on and the water running and uh, everything is good around here. The electricity yeah, we need the flowing. water to run. Yeah, we do, man. Podcast def- def- depends on water. You don't want to be dehydrated while you're while you're podcasting, my friend. That's y- true. You do not. So uh, appreciate that, everyone. And uh, until next time, my moniker is Chris. And my moniker is Jason. Thanks for listening. Ciao.